0: Hello, and welcome to Family Folktales Tales from the Nashville Public Library. I'm Susan Poulter, a librarian at the Maine Library. Today's story is The Bunyip, an Australian tale from Andrew Lang's Brown Fairy Book. Long, long ago, far, far away on the other side of the world, some young men left the camp where they lived to get some food for their wives and children. The sun was hot, but they liked the heat, and as they went, they ran races and tried who could hurl his spear the farthest, or was cleverest in throwing a strange weapon called a boomerang, which always returns to the thrower. They did not get on very fast at this rate, but presently they reached a flat place that in time of flood was full of water, but was now, in the height of summer, only a set of pools, each surrounded with a fringe of plants with bulrushes standing in the inside of all. In that country the people are fond of the roots of bulrushes, which they think as good as onions, and one of the young men said that they had better collect some of the roots and carry them back to the camp. It did not take them long to weave the tops of the willows into a basket, and they were just going to wade into the water and pull up the bulrush roots, When a youth suddenly called out, After all, why should we waste our time in doing work that is only fit for women and children? Let them come and get the roots for themselves, but we will fish for eels and anything else we can get. This delighted the rest of the party, and they all began to arrange their fishing lines, made from the bark of the yellow mimosa, and to search for bait for their hooks. Most of them used worms, But one, who had put a piece of raw meat for dinner into his skin wallet, cut off a little bit and baited his line with it unseen by his companions. For a long time they cast patiently, without receiving a single bite. The sun had grown low in the sky, and it seemed as if they would have to go home empty handed, not even with a basket of roots to show. When the youth, who had baited his hook with raw meat, suddenly saw his line disappear under the water. Something, a very heavy fish, he supposed, was pulling so hard that he could hardly keep his feet, and for a few minutes it seemed either as if he must let go or be dragged into the pool. He cried to his friends to help him, and at last, trembling with fright at what they were going to see, they managed between them to land on the bank a creature that was neither a calf nor a seal, but something of both, with a long, broad tail. They looked at each other with horror, cold shivers running down their spines. For though they had never beheld it, there was not a man among them who did not know what it was. The cub of the awful bunyip. All of a sudden the silence was broken by a low wail, answered by another from the other side of the pool, as the mother rose up from her den and came towards them, rage flashing from her horrible yellow eyes. "'Let it go! Let it go!' whispered the young men to each other. But the captor declared that he had caught it, and he was going to keep it. He had promised his sweetheart, he said, that he would bring back enough meat for her father's house to feast on for three days. And though they could not eat the little bunyip, her brothers and sisters should have it to play with. So, flinging his spear at the mother to keep her back, he threw the little bunyip onto his shoulders and set out for the camp, never heeding the poor mother's cries of distress. By this time it was getting near sunset, and the plain was in shadow, though the tops of the mountains were still quite bright. The youths had all ceased to be afraid, when they were startled by a low rushing sound behind them, and looking round saw that the pool was slowly rising, and the spot where they had landed the bunyip was quite covered. What could it be, they asked of one another. There was not a cloud in the sky, yet the water had risen higher already than they had ever known it to before. For an instant they stood watching as if they were frozen. Then they turned and ran with all their might, the man with the bunyip running faster than all. When he reached a high peak overlooking all the plain, he stopped to take a breath and turned to see if he was safe yet. Safe? Safe? why, only the tops of the trees remained above the sea of water, and these were fast disappearing. They must run fast indeed if they were to escape. So on they flew, scarcely feeling the ground as they went, till they flung themselves on the ground before the hole scooped out of the earth where they had all been born. The old men were sitting in front, the children were playing, and the women chattering together. When the little bunyip fell into their midst, and there was scarcely a child among them who did not know that something terrible was upon them. "'The water! The water!' gasped one of the young men, and there it was, slowly but steadily mounting the ridge itself. Parents and children clung together, as if by that means they could drive back the advancing flood, and the youth who had caused all this terrible catastrophe seized his sweetheart and cried, I will climb with you to the top of that tree, and there no waters can touch us. As he spoke, something cold touched him, and quickly he glanced down at his feet. Then with a shudder he saw they were feet no longer but birds' claws. He looked at the girl he was clasping and beheld a great black bird standing at his side. He turned to his friends, but a flock of great, awkward, flapping creatures stood in their place. He put up his hands to cover his face, but there were no more hands, only the ends of his wings, and when he tried to speak, a noise such as he had never heard before seemed to come from his throat, which had suddenly become narrower and slender. Already the water had risen to his waist, and he found himself sitting easily upon it, while its surface reflected back the image of a black swan, one of many Never again did the swans become men, but they are still different from other swans, for in the night time those who listen can hear them talk in a language that is certainly not swans' language, and there are even sounds of laughing and talking, unlike the noise made by the swans whom we know. The little bunyip was carried home by its mother, and after that the waters sank back to their own channels. The side of the pool where she lives is always shunned by everyone, as nobody knows when she may suddenly put out her head and draw him into her mighty jaws. But people say that underneath the black waters of the pool she has a house filled with beautiful things such as mortals who dwell on the earth have no idea of. Though how they know, I cannot tell you, as nobody has ever seen it. That was The Bunyip from Andrew Lang's Brown Fairy Book. Special thanks to Ginger Sands for our theme music. You can find more of Ginger's music at iTunes or on her website at www.gingersands.com. And if you'd like to comment on today's story, send me an email. I can be reached at susan.poulter at nashville.gov. Thanks for listening.